Well, one thing I want to go into what really helps, because I know still to this day, I have limiting beliefs that are blind spots that are there. What helps is being around others that are even further along than I am. Hi, welcome to Ready to Scale Season 3. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. I'm a real estate investor, syndicator, and operator of multifamily properties. And in this season, we're going to focus on dialogues that drive success. Building real wealth is not a fairy tale nor rocket science, but there's so much to learn. So grab a cup of coffee and join me each week for in-depth conversations with successful real estate investors. Conversations that are designed to help you drive your wealth, investment, knowledge, and lifestyle to the next level. And of course, you can always go to my website, elliperlman.com, to read more about investing passively in multifamily. Hello, everyone. This is Ellie Perlman, your host broadcasting from Providence, Rhode Island. And today I'm speaking with Sterling White. So Sterling is a multifamily investor. He specializes in value-add properties like myself, only he's doing it in Indianapolis where he lives. And he also invests in other Midwestern markets. So Sterling, you know, he has a very interesting story. He's the founder of Sunder Investment Group. And he also have the podcast called The Real Estate Experience. So you might want to check it out as well. And if that was not enough, then he's also the author of the book From Zero to 400 Units. And he's the former world record attemptee. And we're going to talk about that because I wasn't sure what that was, you know, before I brought him on the show. And with that, I would like to welcome Sterling to the show. Hey, Sterling. Welcome, everyone. Get your popcorn ready because we're going to take you along for a ride. Get your pens, paper available because you'll definitely want to take notes as well. All right. Awesome. So let's start. I actually want to start from the former world record attemptee. If you can tell us what that is and how did you find yourself, you know, holding this title? Gosh, so this all started back with I read the book for our work week. And some of you may be familiar with that book. It was written by Tim Ferriss. And that was at a very pivotal moment when I read that book in my uh, life's journey. And within that, he talks about picking a goal that scares the absolute crap out of you. And I'll go ahead and not say the absolute word because it could get censored. (laughs) (laughs) So from that, I ended up picking the world record for the world's fastest fireman carry mile. No, I'm not a fireman. And that was something that really caused me to step out of my comfort zone because the record was... And the attempt is I carry someone of equivalent weight in the fireman's position for the distance of a mile around a track. And it's timed. Yes. And so the time when I had applied for it through Guinness World Records was closer to about 15, 16 minutes. And then when they approved my application, someone actually broke the record and it was just over 11 and a half minutes. Wow. So, yeah. And so in essence, fast forward to the day of the attempt, one, three months into the training, actually was it uh, threw my back out. So I was out for about two to three weeks. However, that was an obstacle that I had to overcome. And then a week prior to the actual attempt, the person I was training with ended up backing out. So I had to go to my old university to the wrestling team because I formerly wrestled and got someone of equivalent weight. Day of the attempt, gun goes off. Everything's recorded because it's all professionalized and you have to record it and document it. 
and I drop the person at the halfway meter mark. And when the attempt starts, if their feet touch the ground at any point, then the attempt is over. But what I experienced through that is one, I didn't finish the attempt. I failed and I failed in front of newscasters, friends. It was a really big event and I realized it was not so bad. So that was a limiting belief that I shattered. Wow. So what happened at the end? That was it. So I was supposed to run the track four laps and at the two lap mark, I dropped the person. So when they drop and they touch it, it it's that done, attempt's over. over. Yeah, and I was exhausted. Did you, so I'm actually very curious, you know, if you got some advice from people around you before you attempted to do it, before you started to go for, you know, a goal that most people probably thought nobody can, you know, that they know can achieve. Because I can tell you that, you know, in my lifetime, I've been dealing with so many people around me, the thought that, you know, you can't do this and you can't do that. And I think most of them actually mean well, you know, they want to protect you from a failure as if it's something, you know, negative, as if it's, it's a bad thing to fail. And I think a lot of them are projecting their own fears and their own beliefs into what they can and cannot do. And many times it's really confusing because you know that these people have, you know, your, you know, you think that at least I'm, I'm assuming that most of them, you know, like they like you, they care about you and they give you advice because they want to protect you. But how do you find yourself? So A, I'm, I'm actually curious to know if you found yourself in the same situation and B, how did you deal with the mindset of people around you? So I would say, and also the, to piggyback what you mentioned is also, yes, yeah, some individuals are trying to look out for your best interest, but they also see you doing something that is out of your comfort zone and stretching in the goal. And they see that, well, that also shows their insecurities that, oh, I should be actually doing so. That's also a, a little bit of a, a flip side to that as well. And one thing is I had people that were telling me that that's a, a pretty lengthy goal. There's no way that you're going to accomplish it. You need to train a lot more. But one thing I did is I had another pivotal moment. I would say in my early 20s, so many things happened. But I was at this uh, college party doing what college kids do, having a good time. And I ended up drifting away from the crowd. I'm out in the middle of this boat, Ellie. And this question comes down to me and says, hey, Sterling, is this what you want to do with your life? So I was in construction at that point in time. And I was looking to shift. I was still trying to figure things out. I was in my early 20s. And I answered back, no, this is not what I want to do. And I did three key things that has really helped me to this day. And myself now, I'm so glad that that person did that. One is I cut out the news. Huge. Still to this day, I don't watch the news. Of course, if something is important enough, someone will let you know. Guarantee it. So much negativity. Two was I cut off all my friends because they were not going where I wanted to go. Great people. And just touching what you mentioned is it's like crabs in the barrels. That analogy is when one crab is looking to get up, other crabs drag them down. Uh, not saying I'm a crab or those people are crabs, but that's just an analogy. I understand the analogy. Huh? <laughs> and then the third is I started on mindset and self-improvement and that helped tremendously for me to like, how it translated to real estate in itself is many people see that when I got my first deal, for instance, is I had negative funds in my bank account. I didn't have the experience, but I knew I'm at A, I want to get to Z. How do I bridge the gap? 
how can I go out there and find someone versus saying, okay, well, I don't have none of those requirements. Let me go ahead and go to another field. All started with those three key things, but more so mindset. I'm about 95%. It's mindset in the industry and the rest is actual mechanics. That's so very true. I 100% agree with whatever you said. I think at some point when you transition and you're actually taking steps and you're conquering your fears and you're starting to invest, even though you say, hey, I don't really have that experience, just remember, nobody was born experienced. They either took the chance or someone else took the chance with them and gave them a job or, you know, job something that allowed them. This is what happened with me. I ended up finding a a mentor and started working for them for completely free. Yes, free, you guys. In exchange, I got so much knowledge and insights that college didn't even help me with by any means. The debt I went in. How did you find him or her? So this was the universe in a way. And this was all those pivotal moments that happened. So the gym I was working out at for that uh, world record attempt is I formed this relationship with this older individual, had no anticipation that they would end up being my mentor. And that's the power of just networking, getting yourself out there. And another thing is I was actually bartering my way to be at the CrossFit gym. So I was cleaning around the gym because CrossFit's very expensive for those of you who do CrossFit. And so One day I just overheard their conversation and there's that quote that says, when the student is ready, the teacher shall arise. And I overheard a conversation about them talking about apartments and real estate. And I just approached them and said, hey, let's go out to Subway and grab something to eat. Had no clue I was going to pay for it. And at that point, I just said, how can I be of value to you and your business? Here's the kicker. You don't have to pay me. And the rest was history from there. Amazing. Amazing. And I know, you know, so many people are that the want to get into real estate are looking for that opportunity. And, you know, also people reach out to me and I'm sure they reach out to you and say, Hey, I want to learn. What can I do? I definitely think that being there physically, and I know it's a little bit more challenging with COVID, I think more challenging to do it remotely when you haven't met the person when, you know, cause there should be some trust there and that's how you build relationships. I think one thing that a lot of people don't talk about is limiting mindset when you're already a high net worth individual, you've already made it, you already have investments, and perhaps you think, okay, this is what I can do, or this is not the right time to invest right now because it's scary, there's uncertainty. What are your thoughts about limiting beliefs when you, quote unquote, already, you already made it, you're already wealthy, you already, you know, you're a millionaire, you have assets, maybe you exited a company, maybe, you know, you made some very good investments, perhaps even in the stock market. Do you see some limiting beliefs in that population, not necessarily, you know, for people who want to get in the game? I would say just speaking for myself personally is just getting new levels, owning multi-million dollars worth of real estate is, it just goes back down to my why and my ultimate mission is my background or where the environment I grew up in, single mother, section eight housing, fraternal twin brother, welfare, food stamps, government assistance. And I remember a lot of what I grew up in was just a very negative environment. So there was always gang-related activity, drugs, and just illegal activity. And that one is I was able to make it out of that environment. However, my brother ended up going back to it and took a different trajectory in life. But I want to be an ideal and a message 
for those kids in that environment that, hey, this is the path that I took. Here's the blueprint ultimately. So that's my why. And that could be something that helps everyone else is just to, yeah, it's good to earn money on all these million dollars of real estate. But if you have like your shining star, your why, your mission that you're working towards, that will help tremendously with you just being able to find different things to help towards that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that in any stage that you are as an investor, you can have limiting beliefs that that can really limit where you can, you know, take your wealth, you know, to the next level, whether you have million dollars net worth, $5 million, or just 500 to your name, I think in any of those scenarios, there are some limiting beliefs that can lock you into, you know, that's how much I can make that. And that's it. Or this is not the right time to invest, which you know, I, I respect investors' opinion whether they are they feel this is right now the right time to invest or not. But I think there are limiting beliefs, you know, in every segment of the population. And if we're talking about, you know, limiting beliefs during COVID, you're managing multifamily. Well, one thing I want to go into what really helps, because I know still to this day, I have limiting beliefs that are blind spots that are there. What helps is being around others that are even further along than I am. So one limiting belief that I had for the longest time is save, save, save. We actually talked off camera on that. I heard this concept about rich people buy time. And so one thing I do now is outsource laundry because I don't enjoy it. I outsource my grocery shopping, but people, and this is, you could say, middle class. And I would share that with people that say, you're lazy for not doing that. But it is buying time to where I can focus on higher value activities within the business or even spend more time with family. Another example is I remember going, I'm part of Big Brothers, Big Sisters, which is uh, giving back to people or kids in that those environment I grew up in. And I remember going to an amusement park and paying, I think it was like $50 or so for the both of us extra for the fast pass. And I remember going in lines that were about an hour and a half, two hour wait. And you would see the line of those people that were over there and we would just go in longest is 15 minutes buying time. I never realized that concept until I started using it. I was like, huge unlock. And that was the limiting belief. Save, save, save. I love that. I think there were so many interesting things that you said there. You know, one of them specifically was that I think some people are focused on saving instead of increasing their income. There's a limit to how much you can save and and what quality of life are you going to have if you're going to save and then when you retire, okay, then you're going to have some money to leave. But that's not a way of of living instead of... Your income is like limitless. How do you want to go versus expenses? You can only save what you mentioned, a finite. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I remember, you know, I was also struggling, you know, I grew up very poor and my parents were, you know, sick and many times there's no money. We were kind of in some of my siblings were in foster families and then I was sent to a boarding school because my parents could not afford to, you know, have us in a house. And it's interesting because, you know, one of my siblings always said, and that's how they became, they, you know, they're not well off, but they're doing very well. You know, they're kind of solid middle class because they saved every penny since I can remember, you know, and I always used to say, and, and they used to look at me and say, you're spending money. And I said, no, I'm not going to have that problem because I'm going to focus on my income. Mm-hmm. I don't want to live like you. I want to, which is fine for you. You feel secure this way but I'm going to take it to the other, you know, there's another way I'm going to work on getting the best education. That's why you know, I became a lawyer. Then I came to MIT. I'm going to 
actually I took a huge loan to pay for my MIT education, paid off, you know, multiple times over because I was focused on let's increase, you know, the bottom line by increasing the income, not cutting the cost. So I think that's a very, very interesting, you know, mindset. And also it reduces your amount of problems. I know they say more money, more problems, but I'll give everyone a prime example is I had a relative that was facing eviction and they ended up coming to me and they, they didn't want to, to do that. But I ended up paying it off. It wasn't like a huge amount or anything. But just think if I was safe, 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 or I just had just living paycheck to paycheck and really didn't have enough money, then that's two problems. One is that person now is in, I'm not able to help them. And two, I'm still in the scenario that it helps solve problems at the end of the day, too. Absolutely. And buying time is key. And, you know, I would love to keep talking with you about mindset because it's so important. But I kind of I want to talk a little bit about investing in your own multifamily properties in Indianapolis. Can you share with me, you know, how how your mindset helped you to overcome, you know, the stress that obviously, you know, many, I think, sponsors feel when, you know, own, owning real estate during COVID, there's a lot of uncertainty. How do you think mindset played a role? And, you know, if you're working with investors, how did you see my, their mindset, you know, contributing to, you know, your mindset? Yeah, I would say quite a bit of them were just uncertain how things would shake out, especially at the beginning of March. It was, how's April going to shake out? Okay, how's the following month going to shake out? How's the following in this particular market really hasn't skipped the beat. I would say the collections and occupancy went down just a tad bit, but nothing too outrageous concerning collections over 95% occupancy. There's still demand uh, in terms of the eviction more, more that whole regulations yeah, that the they put down. Room. Yeah. That we weren't affected by that. Cause there's of course ways around that in certain scenarios. So yeah, I mean, it's just, having the open communication uh, with your investors and in the event they want to hop on a call to provide reassurance to them. And yeah, just being completely transparent. What was the thing that contributed the most to the success of your portfolio? Because, you know, it might look like everyone is doing well. Obviously, there are some assets that are struggling that are not doing that well. And you're doing fine during COVID. Would you contribute that to something you did prior to purchasing the assets or something that you've done, you know, differently? Yeah, I would say on previous deals, making those mistakes and learning from them. And I'll give everyone a mistake. And this is one thing I've, I remember having someone on my podcast is that even though I can share the mistake or you hear the mistakes that you'll still make them. And then you're like, oh, crap, that's why they said don't do that. Uh, so that's I did that on one of the syndications, which was our, our second 50 unit deal here in Indianapolis. In essence, is didn't raise enough cash to take care of the improvements. And because we didn't raise enough cash here, you're wondering, why didn't you raise enough cash? Because the deal was too tight in terms of other numbers. It wouldn't have made sense because that would have affected the investor returns. And that ended up biting us at a later point that we ended up when we exited out of it, we did okay, decent, just a little under our projections. But that was one thing that we had in the back of our head that we learned from that lesson. And then on deals such as now, we raise enough money and also have reserves to weather the storm. Got it. Well, that's very key. So you basically learn from past mistakes. And so your assets are doing well because you have implemented these lessons. 
Correct. And having the abundance mindset versus the scarcity mindset, huge. Because when you have the scarcity mindset, you're like, I've got this deal. I've got to figure out a way to make it work. Let's say you fall in love with the deal. You're making, because when you're underwriting a deal, you can make the numbers make a deal work. Those of you are underwriting deals. And that's one thing is when you vet sponsors, you have to have someone look behind those numbers. But uh, having the abundance mindset is, okay, this deal doesn't work. We don't have enough money uh, in terms of to take care of the improvements. Let's move on to another one. Got it. And so what would you recommend to an investor who, you know, has significant you know, amount of assets and they're looking to diversify, they want to invest with a new sponsor? I think, you know, right now, everyone is asking, how are your assets doing during COVID? What would you say would be the most important question to actually ask a new syndicator if you're looking to diversify and invest with someone new right now? I would say how they have weathered the storm formally during a crisis such as the one that we're in. If it's the first time operator in terms of them going through something at this, then to protect your downside and mitigate your risk, you may go with a a sponsor that has been during the 07, 08, 09, 2010 era and weathered that storm. You may have to have lower returns, but of course the risk is mitigated. So that's one thing that comes to mind and for someone. Got it. Got it. All right. That makes a lot of sense. I think how you weather the storm is sometimes a little bit more important than whether you actually weathered the storm. Were you communicative? You know, did you take ownership? Did you take, you know, responsibility for what happened? Did you cut off all communication? I think communication is really key because investors, even if you projected 8%, but delivered seven and a half, but you did not communicate what was going on, you did not prepare investors, you know, that's worse then, you know. Yeah, exactly. If they find out that could be huge in terms of your reputation, if you don't disclose something and they find out about it, just, yeah. All right, Sterling, we have arrived to the lightning round questions. All right. What's your favorite hobby besides running around with people you know, your own weight and trying to break world records? I would say working. (laughs) Working? (laughs) Uh, Well, I mean, traveling. I enjoy traveling the places. So one, and I want to go back, but it'll be a different destination is Dubai. So those of you who haven't been to Dubai, definitely want to add that to your bucket list and ensure that you dress up as a local in the all white. Ah, that's how they dress up. Interesting. All right. And what's the one thing that you think that people don't know about you and you think would be interesting to know about you? My favorite class in college was ornithology, which I still apply that now, which is just a study of birds. So I will go to different uh, forests and what do you call that? Parks and bird watch. I used to do it in neighborhoods, but do not recommend walking around neighborhoods with uh, binoculars. <laughs> Probably not. Not a good idea. What do you wish you known when you first started, you know, buying multifamily properties? If you could look at and give yourself advice when you were, let's say, 20 years old. And I just turned 30. So even though you're buying, you're still selling, it's all sales. What do you mean by that? 
so you have to sell yourself. So our approach is, well, now on the, the multifamily side is we go direct to owner. So even though when you're buying a property, you still have to sell that owner or whether you're going with the broker, you have to sell them on why you're the right individual to go with in terms of making the purchase. Got it. That's very, very true. What's the number one advice that you have for investors who want to scale their business, scale their portfolio and take it to the next level? To, and this is one thing I'm, I'm guilty of still to this day, is to avoid being the bottleneck. So bottlenecking your business, meaning putting SOP, standard operating procedures in place, and just to allow the business, for lack of a better words, or Michael Gerber's book, E-Myth, is work on the business versus working in the business. So that's what I was mentioning. Brilliant. And I think you need maybe a little bit more cash flow to do it, but it's worth it because otherwise you're going to grow much slower and you're going to lose your mind because yes. you're going to burn out so quickly. I know I've learned it the hard way. I try to do it all and start delegating, you know, slowly until you're absolutely right. It's working on the business a lot more exciting than working in the business and doing the day-to-day, -day, you know, activities. Or cutting your grass at your rental properties. Please, you guys don't do that. That is very yeah. low value. <laughs> Exactly. It's finding where you provide the most value to your business, which is usually, you know, working on the business, the, the high level, you know, strategy, managing people, you know, okaying the, you know, giving the final approval for, you know, any investments and, and, and things like that. I think about it in the, in the way of, you know, I'm looking at Senzel. He's one of the people that I look up to. How he started, he did everything, you know, he started, he was very scrappy, he started from nothing. But what is he doing now? You know, he's not sitting there and like you said, not is not taking care of the grass, obviously. He finds the best talent, he's working with his managers, he's working on so I think if you have that person in mind, you need to build your business and tweak it so you know, to set you one day be one of those people. That's the yeah. how I see things. And when I, because Sam Sales definitely someone I, in terms of getting information from and insights is he's a very simple guy. And yeah, he's very straight and cuts it. So if he can do it, of course he's got, he's put a lot of work into it, but that is just a prime example of if he's able to do it, then you can do it too. But you just have to, of course, put in the work, make sacrifices, et cetera. Exactly. Exactly. All right, Sterling, where can people find you if they want to, you know, reach out to you, talk with you about investing or read your book or anything like that? Yeah. So you can find me on the IG, which is Instagram, Sterling White Official. One more time, that is Sterling White Official. Then my company website, SonderInvestmentGroup.com, and that is S-O-N-D-R, InvestmentGroup.com. All right, Sterling, thank you so much for your time today. It was really fun chatting with you. We have a lot of, you know, a lot of things in common when it comes to beliefs and mindset. So it was really nice to speak with someone who's been through, you know, kind of maybe not the same path. Your story is amazing, but, you know, there's some similarities there. So I thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you, Allie. All right, guys, this is it for today. Be bold, be great, and keep moving forward. And I'll see you on the next episode.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.